Philippians chapter number 2 and verse number 12. The Word of God says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this scripture tonight, this portion you've directed our heart to. I pray, God, that you would bless this text, Lord, help us to mine out the truths that you would have us to share with this congregation tonight. And what you do, we'll thank you, and we'll give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Now, the verses that we have come to and selected for a text tonight is often a misunderstood scripture. There are those that will take verse number 12, where Paul says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and they will claim that that, that Paul is uh, teaching and preaching a works-based salvation. Now may I remind you this tonight, if Paul was teaching a works-based salvation in Philippians chapter 2, he would have been contradicting what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. Because in Ephesians chapter 2 he said, For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself." It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. you got to remember this principle when we're studying our Bible. One verse can stand by itself. Amen. But that verse does not have to stand by itself. You compare Scripture with Scripture context and look at what the writer and the context and what the Word of God is saying. So what is Paul saying here in Philippians chapter number 2 when he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Well, in the book of James chapter number 2, the apostle James teaches us that faith without works is dead. Now, he's talking there and he says that Abraham was justified and the Bible says in uh, James chapter number 2 verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith is wrought with his works, and by works faith was made perfect, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him, imputed unto him for righteousness, for he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Now there are those that will take those verses and Philippians 2, and they will preach and they will teach a works-based salvation. But it is interesting, when it says that Abraham... The Bible says when Abraham offered Isaac upon the altar, he said, was, I, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Here's my problem with that being a works-based salvation. Abraham, Abraham didn't believe God in that text. He didn't begin to believe God there. In fact, Genesis 15 teaches us that Abraham believed God when he, when he heard the voice of God, when he followed God's command, and he, when he believed God, it was a 
imputed unto him for righteousness. So in Genesis 22, Abraham is not a lost man. He is a saved man. So what is James saying? What is Paul saying? Well, when Abraham took Isaac up that mountain and he laid Isaac on that altar, that was a work that was produced out of his faith. His work did not produce his faith, but rather his faith produced his works. If there's one principle I've tried to drive in in my pastorate here is that God works how church from the inside out. And so that faith works out. Here's what Paul is saying in Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation. He ain't saying try to figure it out. Hey, you can't figure out why God would love somebody like us and give His pure only begotten Son to die for our sin. I can't figure that out. I can't fathom that. So he's not talking about that. He says in verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His pleasure. So here's what he's saying. He's saying God has worked something in you. Now that thing that God has worked in you, you need to get it out get it from the inside out so I want to preach from these verses tonight on working out what God has worked in working out what God has worked in let's look at our text tonight in our outline three things number one I want us to know the, de the details of this work the details of this work. What are the details? Well, first of all, in your outline tonight, and this is probably the hardest word I have to spell, but it's the only one I could come up with, all right? But this is an initiated work. I-N-I-T-I-A-T-E-D, Miss Patty, all right? It is an initiated work, amen? And so what does that mean? Well, verse 13, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, that work that's on the inside of me that he's talking about is that same one that he mentioned Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you, he will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. I'm glad I didn't save myself. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't do anything on the inside of me. It was all God. Amen. I have a for God salvation. So I said, preacher, what do you mean a for God salvation? I have a for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son kind of salvation. My salvation begins with God. Amen. So this work, and I just want to say this quickly, this work is an initiated work. Secondly, this work is an individual work. Watch what he says in verse 13 again. For it is God which worketh in you. That puts it on a personal level. I asked the question a few weeks ago, but is God working in your life in any way? I hope he is. He, he's still working on us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 God desires to work in a congregation of believers. God wants to work in this church. Amen. But I tell you, God wants to work in your life. And God wants to work in my life on a daily basis. Why? Because He is conforming us to the image of His dear Son. This is an initiated work. This is an individual work. Watch verse number 13 again. This is an important work. Look at the text. For it is God which worketh in you. Here's the important. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
The will here is the desire. And the do here is determination. Meaning that God gives us the desire and the determination through the Spirit of God to work out what He has worked in us. In other words, when you got saved by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit of God moved on the inside of you. Ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. And so now there's somebody living on the inside of you that says, read the Bible. There's somebody living on the inside of you that says, pray. There's somebody living on the inside of you that says go to the house of God. There's somebody living on the inside of you that says witness to that person. Give them a gospel track. Speak to them about the Lord. What is it? It is His will to, to, to do of His good pleasure. It's an important work in this text tonight. I hope God's not wasting His time on us. I hope that we will be faithful to... Somebody said, Preacher, God's really been doing some things in my heart. That's wonderful. Get it on the outside. There's a lot of people say, yeah, he's, he's working on me, but you can't tell it. Because ain't nothing on the outside changed. Amen. This, remember, who's Paul writing to? He's writing to a church. He's writing to believers. We ain't talking about lost folks trying to clean up the outside to get the inside clean. He's talking to a group of people that's been born again, so the inside's clean, if you will. And he said, now that inside needs to get on the outside. It's an important work. Then, verse number 12 this is an involved work. Watch what he says in verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only. He said, y'all been good about doing what I, what I told you to do and about preaching. He said, but now much more in my absence. Here's what you need to do, church. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, you're not going to wake up one day and automatically be spiritual. I hate to, do, I hate to say this, but you've got to work at it. Hey, you got to make yourself read the Bible. My Bible just don't pop open and float to me and, and, and I read it. No, I have, to go, I have to go pick it up. I have to open it. I have to discipline myself to look at the page and the chapter. This is, a, this is an involved work. You see, the biggest enemy to our work, working out our own salvation is our flesh. Because our flesh don't want to do that. Hey, your flesh don't want to pray. Your flesh don't want to read the Bible. Your flesh don't want to serve God. So here's what you have to do. Paul said in Corinthians, but I bring, I keep my body and I bring it unto subjection. The word subjection means to claim as one slave. Subject to stern and rigid, and here's a word I hate, discipline. Discipline. I preached earlier, or maybe the last Wednesday night, on some things we need to do daily. It's a disciplined thing. And, and I'll be honest with you, that's something I struggle with, trying to be disciplined. When you live the life that I live, it's hard to have a routine. Because you never know what's going to happen from Dan to Beersheba. I mean, something's going to happen, something's going to blow up. And so it's hard, but you've got to discipline yourself. You gotta get, that's not an excuse I'm making, uh, I, I'm trying to make an excuse, but it's not a good excuse, amen. I'm just telling you that we have to discipline ourselves in these matters. So, the details of this work. Secondly, the displaying or the display of this work. Verses 14 through 16. How am I to display that God has worked something on the inside of me, how am I going to display that on the outside? Well, you, I'm glad you asked that question. Look at verse 14. There's a command. Do all things 
without murmurings and disputings. Uh-oh. The word murmur, it means to utter complaints in a low voice, grumbling, complaining. Hello. <laughs> we all struggle with that, don't we? I tell you, if it's hot outside, I tell you, it's just so hot. And if it's cold outside, it's just so cold. And if it's raining outside, I can't believe it's raining. And if we're in a drought, I can't believe we ain't got no rain. <laughs> oh, don't look at me so sanctified. Amen. I'm telling you, we, uh, if we don't find something to complain about, we complain. But the, Paul said, do all things without murmurings. He said, in other words, quit complaining all the time. You know, if we're not careful, uh, we'll 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 take we'll take a prayer request and make it a complaint prayer request time and make it a complaint session. There's a reason we have the little box back there, because we don't want we don't want God's time to be taken up with complaining about how bad we've got it. We want to come in here and magnify the Lord and lift up the Lord. Yeah, we have burdens. Yes, we have problems. Yes, that's why we take time to pray over those. But I don't want to come in here tonight and 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 and, and talk about uh, the government and and, I, and can I just be honest with you tonight? I, I I don't care if they found classified documents in Biden's Corvette. I don't care if they found it at Pence's house. I don't care if they found it at Tony's house. I really don't care. Well, some of y'all must care because you're like, oh, I care, I care. It's not like our enemies can read it anyway. They can't speak English. So, um, but, but you'd be amazed how many churches are hearing about that tonight. I'm talking about that tonight. And that's just the focal point of all that. And they're complaining. And they're complaining. Brother Matthew, you might want to plug ears. And Caden, you might want to plug ears. But when I worked at Chick-fil-A, we had a complaint box. You know what we've done with the complaint box? Nothing. At least when I was there. Complaining, you just don't get nothing done. I mean, that's probably why I wasn't a good Chick-fil-A employee. That's probably why I was in the cow suit most of the time. Uh, but, you know, complaining, what has what complaining ever accomplished? It don't accomplish anything. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick on my dad here because I love my dad, but dad's funny about, my daddy's a letter writer. If daddy gets a bad meal somewhere or gets bad service somewhere, he writes a letter. I'm like, you got to sit down to your computer, type out a letter, address it, go buy a stamp and put it in the mailbox just because they didn't put cheese on your hamburger? <laughs> I mean, but everybody's different. And I'll tell you, he's got a lot of free meals for that. <laughs> he's got a lot of gift certificates. I just, I, I just don't have time for that. I mean, I just, I just ain't going to go back. And that's fine. I'm not, but I'm saying if we're not careful, we'll get that, we'll get a mentality that if everything don't please us, and I'm not, I'm not throwing my dad under the bus. I'm just talking about the point. If we're not careful, we'll, we'll take everything in life and make it a complaint session. I understand there's some things that, that you need to address sometimes. There's some things you need to deal with sometimes. I understand that. But I'm talking about living a constant life of it's never good, it's always half empty, and you can't get there from here. And he says, do all things without murmurings. That word disputings, Talking about arguing. That's got me. All right, some of y'all got hit on the complaining thing. I don't complain that much, really. I complain about y'all complaining. But that disputings, I, 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 got, I, I, I argue with a fence post. Come on now, talk to me. I, oh, man, Richie, Richie talks to me about it. Y'all just sit there and look at me. Make me feel like I'm alone up here. I, when I get lonely, I preach longer. You know... It's bad, and I'm, I, I got to get, I, I read that thing. I'm like, Lord, I guess I got to work on that. 
And, I, and there's a one thing for contending for the faith and standing up for truth. But sometimes, if I ain't careful, I'll just go looking for an argument just for the fun of an argument. Anybody else like that? You ain't going to admit. You won't even say amen to me. <laughs> well, I, I'm up here confessing my sins to all the uh, high priests in the building tonight. Amen. <laughs> I'm just telling you, if we're not careful, if that complaining don't get you, arguing will get you. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, if God's really been working on the inside of you, you can quit your complaining, and you can quit your arguing. Ugh. May God help us. God help us tonight. God help me. It's bad when you get under conviction and you own preaching. Can I give myself an altar call? There's, there's the command, but then notice, notice the cause. Here's why you need to do things without murmurs and disputes. Look at verse 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. He said, um, your tongue affects your testimony. Verse 14 is all about the tongue. Complaining, murmuring, disputings. He said that tongue is going to affect your testimony. Hey, and I don't think nobody does it here, but it, it's a sad day when a waitress, I've heard, I've heard waitresses say that their worst day is Sundays. It's when all the church people come in. And they complain and run their mouth and don't leave no tip. Oh, if you go to a restaurant and don't leave a tip, don't leave a safe harbor track. Leave another church track or something. Don't leave a safe harbor track. Don't tell them you go here. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, but, but what I'm saying tonight is, is that shouldn't be the case. He said, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? That you may be blameless. That word blameless means without fault. Harmless. That means being not guilty. It's the same word used about the Lord in Hebrews 7, that he was holy and harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He says, here's what Paul's saying. Don't say one thing and live another way. We want to, oh, how I love Jesus, till they mess up my order. It, does it really matter to ruin your testimony? I mean, I hate onions. I think that's going to be part of the judgment of God throughout eternity. He's going to make people in the lake of fire eat onions. I hate onions. I like funions, but I don't like onions. And, 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 I, and, and please don't say, well, you ain't had them how I like to fix them. I, I, mean, I don't want to try them how you fix them. I don't like onions. I don't like green beans. I don't like green beans when I was little. I don't like green beans now. I used to not like okra. I love fried okra now. If you boil okra, you need to get right with God, okay? You fry okra. And there needs to be more breading than okra in the okra. Somebody say amen right there. I'm hungry if you can't tell. But here's what I'm talking about tonight. Is it really worth complaining over that and ruining your testimony at a restaurant? Ruining your testimony with somebody because they messed something up? The preacher in the meeting this week said, if you have a problem at the hotel, please don't complain to those people at the desk and ruin our testimony. We have to live here. We have to deal with these folks. Don't hurt our testimony. But sadly, many times, we have a bad testimony in the community. Ain't it bad when employers don't want to hire Christians because they have a reputation of being lazy and have a reputation of not committing and stay, staying faithful to the job? Ain't that sad? That shouldn't be that way. He said he's, he deals with the cause, but then notice the country in verse 15. He said you need to do that in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That's right, preacher. We're living in a crooked and perverse nation. But ain't it funny, he bust our chops before he got to them. He said, uh, 
You need to quit complaining and quit arguing and be a light and a testimony because you're living in a crooked and perverse nation. And notice what he said. Notice the calling we have. Um, verse 15. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. He said, I'm going to tell you why you need to work out what God's worked in. You're living in a wicked world and you're to be salt and you're to be light in this world. Leonard Ravenhill said the church is supposed to be salt and light. But sadly, we're sugar and lasers. Salt preserves. Salt makes things taste better. Light dispels darkness. But sugar just makes you feel good. And lasers, is, lasers are comfortable with darkness. They don't dispel darkness. They can just, just kind of blend in. And you'll, you may see a little doll on the wall with a laser, but it ain't real light. Boy, we got a lot of people trying to be sugar and lasers instead of being salt and light. I tell you, I still think a Christian ought to dress like a Christian. I think you ought to talk like a Christian. I think you ought to walk like a Christian. I think you ought to conduct himself like a Christian. I believe you ought to, amen, pay his bills. I believe you ought to try to, uh, try to have a good testimony in the community, try to be a good neighbor, uh, try to be a good citizen. Uh, try to, and, and by the way, that's, that's all something we all have to work on in our life. Because if we're not careful, we'll become, we'll become so American that we forget that we're supposed to be Christians. Amen. He said, hey, you're living in a crooked and perverse nation. You're supposed to shine as lights. I can have Brother Rob kill the lights in here, and I got a light on my cell phone. It ain't very bright, but it would dispel the darkness. Oh, you ought to shine as a light there at your work, at your place of business, at the school, wherever you go. You're to shine and be a light. We have that calling. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That means we walk away when they tell the dirty jokes. Amen. That means that we don't, we don't participate in their wickedness. That means we don't go along uh, with their sin. No, we're not better than anybody, but we are called to be different in this world. And I have to be careful here, but it is a shame when even pastors are conforming to the world and dressing up like the world and, and just, just to be fun and be cool. It ain't right. It ain't right. I tell you, we ought to... I, brother, if you saw me uh, with an earring in my ear or a nose ring in my nose or, or, or dressed out in golf, it'd ruin my testimony. I won't tell you with this boy right here, some of y'all are going to lose me, but if this boy saw me in a pair of shorts, it'd ruin, it'd hurt my testimony with him. Because you know the preacher don't wear shorts. I know it got quiet right there. And that's okay. I'm just saying, we are to be different. We are to stand out. We are to shine as lights. But sadly, we're just focused on blending in. And Paul said, you're to shine as lights. You know what a lighthouse is designed to do? It's designed to protect those ships out there in the sea so they don't run aground. And so that light is shining. Some of y'all have been out to the outer bank, seen them lighthouses. That light is to shine not so it can say, look at me, I'm a lighthouse. But no, so they can say, hey, avoid this danger over here. That's what we're supposed to be as the church and as Christians. We're to shine as lights to let the world know there's danger. There's danger. Then notice the commitment in verse number 16. Holding forth the word of life. The word holding forth means to have, to hold, to apply, to give attention to. It also gives the idea holding forth. The word picture is like this. In other words... You're letting the Word of God be your lamp 
and be your light. I think the psalmist wrote something about that. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He said that lamp to my feet, that's for my steps. And that light to my path, that's for the days ahead. You know why? You know why your car's headlights can only see so far? Because you only need to see so far. And the further you go, the more you'll see. And I'll tell you, the further you go with God, letting this book be your guide and be your light, the more you'll see. I wish God would let me see something far off. You don't need to see nothing far off. You just walk with Him day by day, holding forth the Word of light. What is that doing? It is working out what God's worked in. Preacher, what is this working out? What is it? it is God working sanctification in the separation. Sanctification is an inward work, Brother Charles, and separation is an outward work. The reason we shouldn't do things or go places because God done something in us and it affects the outside. Why don't, why don't we cuss? Because somebody lives on the inside of me. Why don't we want to dress immodestly? Because someone lives on the inside of me. Why don't we want to tell dirty jokes? Because someone lives on the inside of me and I don't want to offend them. That being the Spirit of God. Grieve not the Spirit of God. There's the details of this work, the display of this work, and then last of all, the delight in this work. Verse number 16, I'm almost done. What did Paul want? Well, number one, he wants his rejoicing to be sincere. Look at verse 16, please. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That's a reference to the judgment seat. Hebrews 13 teaches that, that obey them that have the rule over you as they must give an, as they watch for your souls, as they must give an account for your souls, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Not bragging on myself tonight, but as a pastor, I'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ and I'll give an account for this church as a pastor. And I'll give an account for the church members under, under my pastorate. Paul said, I want to do it with joy and not with grief. That's what Paul said. Paul said, during that day, he said, I want you to, I want you to be, uh, uh, work out your own salvation so in that day of Christ, I may give my report with, report with joy. He wants his rejoicing to be sincere. But then, look at on verse number 17. Or verse 16, I'm sorry. He wanted his race to be successful. Watch what he said. That I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. He said, I just want to know I haven't wasted my time. You know, time's a valuable thing. Paul said, I, I poured a lot in you, church. And I just want to know, I, I want to see some evidence in your life that I hadn't wasted my time. Hey, can I say this, church? The cards you gave us the other night, the kind words many of you said to us, was an evidence to me that I've not wasted my time. I appreciate that. I've seen God working. And it's not me, it's God. I'm just, God, I'm just, I'm just the middleman here. I'm just, I'm just the under-shepherd. But I don't believe I've, I've wasted my time here. I thank God for that. Then he wanted his role to be sacrificial. Verse 17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, Paul said, I'm willing to sacrifice my life for the furtherance of the gospel. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 12, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. You know what Paul was? Paul was not about Paul. He was about the Lord. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I said the other week, if Paul was assigned your Bible... Now, his favorite verse be Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here's the last thing. He wanted his response to be the same. Verse 17 and 18. I joy and rejoice with you all 
For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. You know what he's going back to? He's going back to unity. He said, I want us to rejoice together. Well, where does joy come from? Well, joy is the fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the slices of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, it's the second one, and joy. You, you know, there's a difference between happiness and joy. I'm done. Happiness, one man said, is based on happenings. But joy is a sign of the Spirit-filled life and a spiritual fruit. You know what joy is? And a little acronym for it is Jesus, others, and yourself last. You know, if you try to put yourself first and put other, then put Jesus and put others, it don't make no sense. I tell you, when you've got Jesus where he's supposed to be, and then you're preferring your brother like he talks about earlier in chapter number 2, if you put yourself last, you'll know something about joy. May God help all of us in this text. I'll be honest with you tonight. There ain't a believer that, or a Christian in this room tonight from this text that I hope you've been challenged. I know I have. May God help us to work out what God has worked in. Amen. Let's stand together. I appreciate your attention tonight. Brother Matthew's going to come play a verse of invitation. Maybe.